Jesus, we ask tonight as we uh, continue to worship you and to, uh, to ask you to help us and to change us, that, God, you will speak clearly through me. I pray that our hearts are open, and, God, that our, um, our minds will be attentive to what you want to say to us, and that God will have the courage and the strength to obey you. We love you and we praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's give Justin and Matt a hand. I thought that little thing Matt was playing was a guitar that uh, Justin put in the dryer. I'm such a redneck, I didn't even know. What, what is that again? Yeah. yeah, it is. I can't even hear either, so... Thank you guys for a great job. Thank you for a great job. Uh, A couple of things. In two weeks, we will not be having church next Wednesday night. No, we will be having dinner. We will be having all the children's, youth, college activities as normal. But because we've got Sunday night church scheduled with our revival, we will not be having this service, but we'll be back here in two weeks. Going to start a new sermon series in two weeks. Uh, and it's going to be, uh, it'll be hopefully a lot more exciting than this is fixing to sound, but on the doctrine of salvation and about who can be saved and how are we saved. One of the, the hot potatoes, if you keep up with uh, Christianity and religion, and at least in the Baptist life in recent years, has been Calvinism. And what, what does that mean and, it, and how that affects you? And we're going to spend... Uh, the the rest of the fall on Wednesday nights looking at that. On Sunday morning in two weeks, we're going to begin a new sermon series titled Times Like These for the Times That We Live In. How do we, how do we as a Christian and as a church, how do we respond to a world that is increasingly at almost breakneck speed going the opposite direction of what we are taught? So uh, I look forward to those, but tonight we've got a sermon that we need to get to, don't we, right now. So let's get to it. You know, Matt, you are, you're an architecture student. We have some engineering students here. Alex, you're an engineering student, correct? And we have engineers in this, uh, this room. Tony Corley, back in the 30s and 40s, was an engineering student. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a problem spelling engineering, so I never was uh, going to get into that, that school. But engineering, uh, Elaine and engineering, I'm looking at my engineers right now, so... But engineering, you know, when you're, when you're a freshman, you're a student, you're looking, at, you're looking at theories, you're looking at equations, you're looking at formulas. That's part of learning, isn't it? That's part of it. But, you know, I, I would guess for an engineer, the real grasp of it happens when you design that bridge and you watch the train roll over it for the first time successfully, correct? It's got to be the same way with people like Will who studied um, medicine and you take anatomy and physiology and you, you study that. But it's different, Will, when you've got a live, breathing, coughing uh, person looking at you, complaining, isn't it? It's, it's that combination of the intellect and the heart coming together. That's when we really grasp something. This evening, we're going to talk about revival. Revival and about, about coming to not only know it, but to, to experience it. We're having a, quote, revival Sunday, Sunday morning, so I thought this would be a good topic. We're going to be in Joel chapter 2. Now, go ahead, get, turn to your table of contents, and find Joel. 
because it's three chapters squashed towards the back of the Old Testament, and it's difficult to find. Never be ashamed to look at your table of contents. That's why God put it there, right? If you don't have a Bible, uh, you, it will be on the screen. And remember, if you can't find Joel, the people around you can't either. Just open it to something and act, uh-huh, preach it, preach it, preach it. So I want to give you a little context to what's going on here in, in Joel. Joel was written, uh, God wrote it through a guy named Frank. Isn't that interesting? No, he didn't really. I just kind of seen if y'all were, y'all were alert. W- what was going on at this time, Israel was divided into two countries. There was the, the ten northern tribes, which were called Israel. And then there were the two southern tribes, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, which were called Judah. Jerusalem was their capital. They were divided when Solomon died. His sons fought in the kingdom. Israel split into to two kingdoms. This letter is addressed to the people in Judah. And just a little bit, this is interesting to me. This is 800 years before Jesus, uh, probably. We think that uh, Joel was uh, writing and speaking. Maybe the first writing prophet was Joel about 835 to 796 B.C. And Joash was possibly the king of Israel at this time. And the, 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 Judah, which is the Jewish people of Israel, they are in trouble as a people. They've gotten away from God. And God's coming to get them. And, and sometimes when God, you get away from God and he comes to get you, it's not only with tears and love, but he has a belt in his hand. He had a belt in his hand at this point with them. Uh, well deserved. The theme of this book that's said over and over and over is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And, and it's using day of the Lord to talk about judgment. There's three judgments a lot of scholars believe laid out in this book. The, the first one is the, the immediate judgment that the people of Judah were experiencing. And it was from, if you can imagine this, a, an invasion of locusts into their land. And you go, well, that wouldn't be too bad. It'd be horrible. It'd be really horrible if you were a farmer in an agricultural society. An invasion of locusts would be bad. Let me just share with you this. This is interesting. In this area in Palestine... In recent years, the last 150, 60 years, 1845, 1865, and 1904, 1915, they had terrible, 100 years ago, terrible locust invasions on these years. Here's what people said. The sky would become black. The noise was almost unbearable. That every plant, every piece of fruit was just completely devoured and gone. This is horrible that babies that were not attended to or could not be got to quick enough were devoured before they could even scream. And the bark was ripped completely off the trees. So when you talk about locusts coming in, it would be a terrible, terrible thing. The the second day of the Lord was talking about a future invasion of the Assyrians, which was going to happen and did happen. And then the final judgment of you and me and all of mankind. But let's go back to the immediate for these people here. They needed a revival. They needed something to happen to turn them back to where they needed to be. So let's talk about revival. First of all, I want to tell you this. Revival is for God's people. Revival is for God's people. In chapter 2, verse 1, 
It says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. This trumpet is a curved ram horn, and, and they would blow this thing. Uh, a lot of times people who are w- w- watching on the towers or guards would blow these things to alert the people to trouble or that, that there was fixing to be a big pronouncement, something was coming up. And this was God's way of saying, hey, sit up, wake up, because something needs to happen in your life that's not happening. And in verse 12, where we're going to camp out tonight, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 2, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. That Hebrew word return means to turn back to something. It literally in this context means to turn and to return back to God. Now, it's interesting. God was speaking to his people here. He was telling his people. He was telling his people through his prophet, you need to turn back to me. Folks, that's what revival is. Revival is God's people, God's church, turning back to him. Evangelism. What is evangelism? Evangelism is lost people being saved. There'd be a lot of lost people in churches. But that's what evangelism is. You may have heard the term an awakening. What is an awakening? Awakening is when large numbers of lost people or one lost person is awakened to the fact that they're a sinner and they need Jesus Christ. It may sound like we're splitting hairs, but evangelism and an awakening, that's what happens to lost people when they come to Christ. You share Christ with people. You're evangelizing. You're hoping an awakening takes place in their heart. Revival, though, listen, the lost people in America don't need to be revived. They need to be saved. It's the Christians in the churches that need to be revived. And the message here in Joel was primarily to the the people who belong to God. He was saying, return to me. Come back to me. That's what God's message is about revival. And listen, anytime you have a great revival, and I, I had the privilege of taking a class on revivals in seminary. Anytime you have a great revival, awakening and evangelism happens. When Christians are getting right with God, people are going to be getting saved all around them. Because we, we begin to start telling people about Jesus. Isn't that a, a neat concept? <laughs> So evangelism is going to be happening, but revival is for us. That's not a selfish thing. In fact, that's a responsibility thing. You can't turn back to something you've never faced before, correct? How can I return back to God when I've never belonged to God? When I was lost, I couldn't turn back to God. I had to turn to God. The message here tonight to those people and to you and me, to some extent, all of us in here to some extent, is to turn back to God. Now, I, you, you've heard me preach, and we preach through judges, and you know my thoughts on where our country's headed, our world's headed. But I want to tell you, it's so easy for Christians and churches to kick the lost world when we're so far from God ourselves. The word for revival is that Christians and churches return back to God. Amen. Now, here's the second thing. How do we experience revival? It's got to move from our head to our heart. It's, it, it's got to be personal. It's got to be, it's got to be something we understand academically, but it's got to be something that affects our lives. How do we experience revival? In chapter 2, verse 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me, return to me with all 
of your heart. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the first thing. Revival starts with the two H's. The two H's. Hopefully this will make sense in just a second. The first one is humility. Do you want to know why that God's not working in a lot of our lives as Christians and a lot of our families and a lot of our churches is we're too stinking prideful for God to work. We're too arrogant. We're too self-sufficient. Hey, if, if everything in your life can be taken care of by you, you don't need God, do you? I think God may be trying to get my attention right now. <laughs> what about you? Revival's never going to happen to a prideful person. Revival's never going to happen to a prideful church. It starts with humility. I believe it was St. Augustine who said, humility is the first, the second, and the last thing of religion. You see, there may be people in this room tonight who will never get saved because you're too prideful to bow your knee to Jesus. What would people think if I came and got saved and got baptized, who cares? You'll be in heaven someday. Who cares? Or, or if you denied, if you, if you got on fire for Jesus, and you came and knelt at the altar, laid at the altar and prayed and cried out to God, what's other people going to think? Who cares? Humility is the starting place for revival. The second thing is honesty. It's honesty. You can't have revival in a church house are in your heart if you're not going to be honest. If you're not going to be honest, he says, come to me with all your hearts. Listen, honesty is right here. It, it, it demands humility. It demands honesty. Now, think about this. If you've got financial problems this evening, you are not going to get better by denying it, are you? Should you pray about it? Absolutely. But you pray about it and, you, you, you get, and then you run up another $1,000 on your credit card or you write another check that you can't back up. You've got to be honest about it, don't you? You've got to look at it. You've got to take a hard look at it. You may need other people to help you look at it, but you've got to. That's, if, with your health, you have, if, if you're going to be in good health, you've got to be honest about it, don't you? It's painful. I've said it before. I think Will's, his scales are rigged. I always weigh too much when I go to his office. He denies it. But you've got to do that. You've got to get on the scales. You've got to get the blood pressure checked. You've got to get the blood checked. You, you've got to be told maybe you need to change some things. And that's tough, isn't it? You see, that's what we have to do spiritually. We have to be honest with ourselves. I love the old saying, I have no idea who said it. It may have been Adam saying it to Eve. The worst deceit is self-deceit. I mean, if you're not going to be honest with yourself, nothing's ever going to happen. The Jewish people were in a bind right now. Part of the reason was they were arrogant and they were in denial. They were in denial. It's not me. It's not my problem. I'm fine with God. And it was just the opposite of the truth in their life. Honesty. Humility. These are tough things, aren't they? Here's a great little quote for you. It's an old quote. It's by a guy named R.G. Lee, who was a great pastor years and years ago. Here's what he said. This is, measure yourself by this tonight. He said, if you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. Well, I thought backsliders were just out getting drunk and beating up and bullying. If you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. That's true. Now, it may be a little bit. It may be a whole lot. Now, honestly, how are you doing? 
Are you humble enough to answer that question? Let me give you a second part of experience in revival. You've got to be willing to turn back fully to God. I would imagine right now, if you're honest, most of us can say, well, I'm not really where I once was. Or maybe I need to make some changes. And we're willing to turn some to God, right? <laughs> we're, we're willing to turn a little bit to God. Verse 12, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. The words here, return, turn yourself around, come back. Turn, turn to me with all of your heart, with the whole of your being, of your mind and your understanding. God's saying in the deepest place in your soul, you need to come back to him. You need to bring yourself to him. It's a, someone said, and I think very rightly, it's a total reorientation of yourself back to God. I don't know of any church, at least that I know, that doesn't want God to bless it. I, I don't know of any intelligent Christians who don't want God to bless them and be involved in their life. But God sits you on the bench when you're going halfway. God says, I want you to reorient your life back to me fully, completely. Here's the third thing, and it doesn't get any prettier. We must be willing to repent. We must be willing to repent. In verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger, bounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Rend your hearts and not your garments. What in the world is that talking about? Well, if you were reading through the Old Testament, you can find this in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. One of the things the Jewish people did to express sorrow, anguish, and even repentance is they would tear their clothes. Isn't that a weird I mean, you could, you'd leave the church service, and you'd be able to tell if you had a good service. And you'd say, well, Trey, Trey and Brandon's shirts are ripped. That means they got right with God tonight. Boy, in the modern era, men, I want you to think about this. About twice a month, your woman is going to rip something and go, well, i got to go shopping this afternoon. I got right with God, and I had to tear my skirt. <laughs> little humor, because we're fixing to be mean. But that was the way they expressed themselves. Here's what God said. Mm, this is tough. God said, quit playing your little games. Do, do you think you really impress me by tearing your clothes and your heart's not torn up about your sin? God says, tear your garments, that's fine, but it's your heart that needs to be broken. And you need to turn from your wrong ways. That's what repentance is. We don't repent very well, do we? I don't know if this is true, but I remember hearing a story about a guy who cheated the IRS for years. Finally, he began to be convicted about it. And yes, that is sin, to cheat the IRS. And so he sent him a check for $150. And he wrote in there, it was unsigned, he said, I've been unable to deal with this. I feel convicted, so I'm sending you a check for $150. P.S., 
If I still can't sleep, I'll send you more money in a month or two. Are we not like that? We have several policemen in our church. I don't know if it was one of uh, our policemen that did this. It may have been, may have been Tyler uh, to, uh, to Clayton, I don't know. But we'll, we'll use Clayton because this would be good for Clayton. Clayton one, was driving through the city here in Ruston, and he got to a stop sign, and he slowed down, and he looked, and then he kept going. Well, Tyler saw him, and he pulls him over. He says, Clayton, that sign says to stop. And Clayton said, I looked, there was nobody coming, I slowed down, so I kept going. He goes, well, if you do it again, I may have to give you a ticket. Two weeks later, the same thing happens. He pulls him over. Clayton says, I'm slowing down, I'm looking. Tyler says, if you do it again, we're going to have problems. Three weeks later, it happens again. Tyler makes Clayton get out of the car. He gets out his billy club, and he begins to beat Clayton. And he says, do you want me to stop, or do you want me to slow down? Aren't we that way with God, though? God, if you convict me a little bit more, if the pain in my life gets a little bit harder, God, if, if, if you do this or this or this to get my attention one more time, then I'll stop. Repentance is a 180. We've turned, you know what a 180 is? I'm going this way and turn around and go back this way. We've made it into a 360. I'm sin, uh, I shouldn't be doing that, whoa, and then we're back doing the same thing. Now listen, if you're taking notes, this is a great quote, it's not for me, but, but it's a great quote. If it's ever original with me, and I say it's a great quote, slap me after the service is over, because that would lack humility, wouldn't it? Probably honesty too. Repentance is not about perfection, it's about direction. You go, well, I, I'm trying to repent, if you really in your heart... You're tearing your heart, not just your garments. It's fine to be emotional. It's, it's fine to cry. It's, it's fine to express emotions in a service. But it's like them tearing their, their garments. If it's not affecting your heart, it's no good. That's what God's saying here tonight. Your repentance needs to be real. It's not going to be perfect, but it, you need to set to a different direction in your life. And, and let me give you this last thought on this. You're going to be different when you get revived. You have to be. I mean, when you're getting honest with yourself, and by the way, these are daily things. You're honest with yourself. You're trying to be humble. You're, you're regularly reorienting your life where Jesus is at the center of it. And you're dealing with the junk in your life, the sin in your life, and you're trying to repent. Listen, that affects your hands, that affects your feet, that affects your mouth, that affects your attitude. You are a different and better person. Amen? Listen, a revived church is a good church, a sweet church, a holy church. A revived person is a sweet person, a holy person. They're not a perfect person, but they're a better person. It affects us when we get right with God. Now, here's the last thing. How does God respond to his revived saints. Now, I'm not talking about the football team, although they need revival down in New Orleans. <laughs> a saint is a Christian. How does God respond when we get right with him? First of all, we can't get right with him without his, his uh, uh, participation. But I want to tell you, God's willing to participate. So when you make a decision, you want to, to get right with God, God's right there with you, friend. 
How does God respond to us? You know, sometimes when you come clean and when you get honest with people and you break down and you share your, your heart, you get smashed, don't you? And then what does that make you want to do in the future? Nothing. I had a, I had a guy tell me years and years and years years ago, he was a tough kid, and he was in the principal's office. He was, I think he was in the ninth grade. And he kind of broke down. He began to cry a little bit. But I think the principal had him where he could have walked that kid down a different line. Here's what the principal said. Quit crying like a little girl. And my friend flipped a switch, and he said, I tried the rest of the next 30 years to never cry ever. Because you, you, you come to people, and you try to do what's right. And they kick you sometimes, won't they? That's not how God acts. Look in verse 13. Return to the Lord your God. Read this out loud with me. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Isn't that great? Let's walk through this real quick. He's gracious He's compassionate. That word compassion means God goes beyond what he ought to go in a love for us. Isn't that great? It Literally, it means God's got a soft spot in his heart for you. When you come back to God, God doesn't kick you. God is gracious. God is compassionate because God's got a soft spot in his heart for you. God is slow to anger. Now, if you were awake last Sunday morning... I talked about when, when Moses got God mad at the end of that, uh, that passage. It said God was angry. It literally meant emotionally God's nostrils flared. That, that's an emotional angry. When it says God is slow to anger here, it means he is long of nostrils. <laughs> you go home and you do this in the mirror tonight. When you're not mad, you're like this. When you're mad, that you know, you go home and make your... your kid or somebody may have watched their nose it'll be interesting god is long of nostrils here and he is a he he abounding in love listen this this hebrew word love means a faithful loyal love man isn't that great and by the way what god told them god said listen you come back to me i will meet you with open arms read luke chapter 15 when you get home if you don't believe me i will meet you with open arms i will love you i will forgive you i will restore you and by the way i will lift my hand of punishment off you you may still have some scars but you're not going to have near the trouble that you had before isn't that great See, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the the, the prisons that we're in right now, we have created ourselves. And the way out of it is to come back to God. It's to come back to God. Here's the choices this evening. You're not a Christian. You need to give your life to Christ. It's not a revival. It's an awakening. You need to come to Jesus tonight and let him save you. Maybe you'd like to join the church tonight. We would love for you to do that. God's leading you to. You can join after church. You can join when we give the invitation. You come and join us tonight if God's leading you to. You're a Christian. I want you to think about this. Does America need revival? Absolutely. Does our world need revival? Absolutely. Does Rustin need it? Absolutely. But revival isn't going to happen anywhere until it starts in here, in your life. Why don't you tonight, for the next few minutes, quit worrying about everybody else getting right and you get right? There was an old evangelist named Gypsy Smith. Here's what he said. You want revival to happen? 
And you can do it right where you are this evening when you stand. He said, you draw a circle around yourself, and you plead with God to send revival inside of that circle. And when revival hits that circle, revival has begun. See, revival in our church, what all, it, all it boils down to is enough of us getting enough of God. And when God's got enough of us, he'll have this church. Christian, leave your seat tonight. Come to the altar. Pray. Pray with the minister. But let's invite God to radically take back over our lives. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come. We'll be waiting on you.